This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. JBR Capital has sponsored the Intercooler podcast for several months now. You've probably heard me talk about the company before. In that time, I've come to really understand what it is that makes JBR Capital different to other car finance companies. If I had to boil it down to one thing, I'd say it's this. Car finance is all JBR Capital does. Might sound like a minor detail, that, but in fact, it's really important. It means JBR Capital has a profound understanding of the car marketplace and of car buyers, an understanding that other finance companies could only hope to have. In fact, that very focused approach is exactly why the company was started in the first place. We recently had Darren Seelig, founder of JBR Capital, on the podcast, episode 106, if you want to go back and listen. And he explained that he started the company when he realized that general finance lenders actually didn't understand cars or car buyers particularly well at all. So he spotted that gap in the market and he founded JBR Capital to fill it. So before you buy your next car be it a supercar, sports car, classic car, a hypercar, or a luxury car, even if it's a brand new car, go and see what JBR Capital can do for you on the finance side. And it really helps us if you tell them that the intercooler sent you. JBR Capital is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome everybody to episode 110 of the Intercooler. 110? It feels like... Last week we celebrated 100, and now we're 10% of the way to the next 100. Blimey. It does fly by, doesn't it? It does. does. (laughs) Uh, Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here, as ever. Um, This week, Andrew, we're talking about, I suppose, the cars that we've changed our minds on, um, be it for good or bad, the cars that we drove when they were new and liked or didn't like, and then revisited them down the road and felt very differently about them. I've got a few. I'm sure you've got plenty. Um, before we get stuck into that, though, should we just share with the Intercooler podcast audience our big news? Yeah, I'm not sure how big a secret this is. I think we've talked about it a bit <laughs> in the past, but uh, but the difference is, yeah, this is uh, this is the website, isn't it? And the difference is, is that back then we were talking about doing a website. Um, well, we've basically done one now, and it's just going through that painful, tedious 
testing phase at the moment but it is done isn't it and it is you know very nearly good to go yeah and i mean it is huge news for us we're calling it phase two aren't we because it is the next step in building the intercooler um and actually do you know what to me it feels even bigger than the app launch um i think it's because the potential of a, a website is far greater isn't it you can actually reach many more people it should be a better reading experience for everybody um the app will live on so if you're a fan of the app and it works for you fear not um but the website will be it it looks beautiful we've got a fantastic web development development agency on it um they actually we got super lucky finding them because they really understand us and they knew about us beforehand and they know exactly what we want uh, and that's been the crucial thing hasn't it you know it's because Mm. I mean, I, I guess the reason you and I did the whole TI and before that DN thing is, we, and, and throughout this whole process, we just wanted to do stuff um, which hasn't been done before, and that that applies to um, the business model that goes around uh, what we do, but also the stories that we put up on the app, and hopefully some of the things that we talk about on this podcast. We just, you know, we know there's, you know, there's an awful lot of good content if you want to go and read about, you know, the latest this, that, and the other. Um, you know, there are any numbers of places you can do that. So we've always tried to do stuff differently which has meant that it's always been very difficult to explain to people who don't know us what we want because it's you can't say oh well it's quite like that um and the great thing about this agency that we've been using i'm not going to bang on about this relentlessly because i think sort of backstage stuff isn't terribly interesting is but you know um they've been with us since day one you know they knew dn you know drive nation back in the early days and i I just find it extraordinary um that i think it's less than three years ago when did we start dm was it 19 or 18 uh i think it's coming to four years okay so okay still but less than four years ago yeah you and i sat down and we thought we'd do a few instagram posts and see what would come of it and now you know um the instagram is whatever it is fifty-two thousand um followers on that um this bizarrely successful podcast which i still don't quite understand but i'm very grateful for you know we've got the we, we we've got the app um, and now we've got this this website coming. It is extraordinary. I just, you know, I, I sort of feel I've been somewhat sort of swept along for the ride. And it's uh, it's it's just great that so many people seem to, you know, like what we do. And um, and it, and it's great to find new ways, new ways of doing it, which is which is what this website is. And I think that one of the great things about it is it's just so much easier for people to share um because you just send people a link or whatever and i think that you know with a, with an app which has to be downloaded and you've got it you know you know you're giving across your credit card details even though you've got a free trial it's just a bit of a barrier isn't it whereas the website um you can just go and have a look so um yeah that'll be up very soon and i uh, can't wait very to show soon it to you. Yeah. yeah and it, it looks fantastic it i mean we would say that but it does look really good um and it works brilliantly as well um and so it's it's a fantastic looking website. It's fully responsive, um, and so if you want to, there'll be a, a mobile version um, to complement the mobile app. So, however you, and of course, with it being a website, it means you can um, read our stuff and enjoy everything we do on any device you like—on your desktop, your laptop, your tablet, your phone. Um, so, it's I think it's just going to make being a TI subscriber even more convenient, even more enjoyable. Um, I'm not going to tell you exactly when it's coming, but it's it's very soon. It really is very soon. Yeah. So stay tuned, and we'll have much more news in the in the coming days and weeks. Um, and so, and it it just it does feel um, like a very significant 
um, landmark for the intercooler. Um, I think it's I think it's a really big deal. And you know, one of the one of the things I'm excited about with the website is that our archive we're calling it the library, aren't we? The library of articles is now 500 plus. There's a million words in there, more or less. Mm. Um, and with a with this beautiful website, it's going to be even easier to dip into that library yeah. to wander through it like you would a physical library and find um and find some of our best pieces and i, and I think um, so and of course sorry one last point and if you subscribe today you get access to the whole thing you don't get that with a print yeah. subscription and I, and I think so what i was just gonna sorry to interrupt you but i was gonna jump in and say is that you know obviously you know there are a lot of titles out there which have you know which have big archives themselves but I think because of the nature of what we do, most of the stories that we write about tend to be timeless. You know, we do do new car reviews, um, which, like all new car reviews, you know, soon become old car reviews and they age. Um, but so much of the stuff we do um, is relevant now. It was relevant when it was written, and it'll be relevant in twenty years' time. It won't, you know, it won't have aged at all. Um, and that's, I think, the real value of uh, of the library is you can just go in there. Uh, and just browse around and be pretty confident that anything you read, um, you're not going to sit there thinking, oh, well, this is fine, but it's completely out of date. Because so much of what we do, because we try to do things differently and because we try to do stuff that is timeless, um, is, 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 is completely relevant um, and will remain so for, you know, forever. Mm, it's a very good point. A very good point. Um, so stay tuned. It's a big deal for us. Very exciting for us. Yep. Hope, hopefully it's exciting to you lot as well. Um, and we'll let you know more about it very very soon okay <clears throat> enough about us let's talk about us <laughs> let's talk about the cars that we've changed our minds on <laughs> yeah um and uh, as we've said at the top this goes both ways so you know we we might have driven well we have driven plenty of cars when they were brand new that we didn't like one bit and then we re- revisited them later on and suddenly they just seem to make sense and we enjoy them it goes the other way as well we might really enjoy a car at launch, when it's brand new, revisit it later on and think, this doesn't feel like the same car that I enjoyed however long ago. Mm. Um, so it does go so, both ways. Sometimes, of course, thing. it won't be the same car. And, and there are two things to say here. There's the obvious yeah. thing, which There's is... There's a good reason for it. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever anyone drives an old car, you can't be completely sure that that's exactly how it would feel when it was new because it's an old car. And, you know, even just through the sort of the ageing of the of the chassis of the shell of the tub or whatever it's got um you know it might be a bit looser and a bit creakier you know who knows what kind of lives these cars have had who knows what conditions there are in you know everything from you know how tired the springs and dampers and all the little bushes are. i mean so it's there's there's no guarantee is it that the car you drive the old car you drive today will feel exactly the same to how it did when it was new but of course also you and i are in the press business and you and i also know very well that the cars that manufacturers uh, certainly in the past um have at times wheeled out um for the launch have been how can we put this optimized for that purpose um and so there may be that even if you did manage to drive one which was absolutely the same as it would have been when it came out of a dealership to go to a customer it doesn't mean it would be the same as it was when it came to um when it went to be launched on the press but even so i think that there are you know some general um hopefully reasonably insightful observations to be made and i think the one thing i would say is that in terms of sort of these broad observations is bad cars don't become good cars just because they're old yeah Mm. an old car is not a classic car a classic car is a classic car which is old 
Um, and I think that's a very important. So even when we're talking about cars like, and I know that you've got a specific example uh, of one which had quite a bad press when it was new. Um, and now neither you nor I would look at it in that way again. I think that's as much to do with it being misunderstood at the time as for anything that was inherently wrong with it. Um, I've always maintained that a bad car when it was new will be a bad car whenever you drive it. Uh, and that has been my, I think, almost universal experience. Yeah, good point. So, yeah, to kind of get us underway, I want to talk about <clears throat> cars that we initially weren't so keen on or didn't review well and then later on um it seemed much more agreeable and the one that you were referencing there was the bmw z8 correct yeah i think we did talk about it recently didn't we but um i've spent i spent several days in it now this was a car that actually really was panned (laughs) in the press Um, i wrote a piece for the app about this so if you read that piece you'll understand what i'm talking about Um, if you go back and read some of the reviews of that car they were not favorable clarkson said it was Awful. He actually said it was awful and then compared it to a skip lorry on Top Gear. Um, Autocar gave it a 3 out of 5 in its road test, which is a poor score. Poor score, um, yeah. And, yeah, and, and others were not really much keener on the car. Um, I drove it and thought it was wonderful. And, you know, it's, it, it's not really difficult to, to see why, because just look at it. Okay, well, you can debate um, how it looks all you like. I think it looks really cool. I think it looks fantastic. Um, it's got that wonderful uh, V8 engine, naturally aspirated V8 engine from the M5, the E39 M5. It's a showpiece engine. It's got a good, slick manual gearbox. It feels relatively compact by today's standards. Um, it's not. It's less than 1,600 kilos, which probably seemed like a lot in its day. But, you know, imagine a, a V8 two-seat roadster nowadays i think it would be much heavier than that wouldn't it so actually you see step back and look at that recipe and you go this is a wonderful car um and you can pick holes in it you can say the steering is actually pretty numb and it is it's a fairly lazy kind of thing it's not a super sharp very responsive chassis when you turn into a corner you turn the steering wheel and then you sense the front axle tuck in so it's a there's a sort of disconnect there so yeah you can you can pick holes in it but actually, what you're doing is driving through the countryside on a summer's evening, as I did, roof down, enjoying that wonderful engine and just the sensations of a 20-year-old sports car. <clears throat> and it, it's, it's thoroughly enjoyable. And I think the point about it really is that it was never supposed to be a supercar or a, an all-out sports car, was it? it there isn't an M badge on it, on it apart from on, on the engine cover. Yeah. It's not an M car. No. Um, and, the, and, we misund- and we misunderstood it. We saw, didn't we, you know, two-seat manual front-engine rear-drive BMW Roadster with that engine in it. Of course it's going to be a supercar. Of course it's going to be a driving thing. And then we got in it and discovered that it wasn't. And so we gave it a kicking. And we ju- I think we just, you know, we just misunderstood it. It also arrived at the same time as the, the 996 Turbo and <clears throat> the Ferrari 360. Yeah. Um, literally in the same year. And so it it was inevitably going to be compared to these cars that had very similar power, very similar asking price. Um, And of course, it wasn't one of that sort of car at all. Um, So that is a very good example of a car being misunderstood when new and later on sort of growing into its character. 
um, and, and being more comfortable in its own skin um, and making much more sense because of it. Um, I think there's also, uh, there's something bigger going on um, and it's that the job of a car journalist when reviewing a new car is to pick holes in it, is to compare it to similar cars from, from, the, from the sector. Um, and so things like poor steering, things like slightly lazy body control, um, those sort of handling deficiencies, they do seem like a problem and you do have to report them. Um, you, I don't think we'd be doing our job if we didn't. Um, and yet 20 years down the line, those things just seem less important because you're not comparing this car to a Ferrari 360, for instance, or a 911 Turbo. They've totally diverged in, time, in terms of price and value. They're not rivals anymore. You're not thinking about the BMW Z8 in terms of the, the competition. You just judge it on its own merits and appreciate the things that are special about it. And because of all these reasons, things like character and particularly sense of occasion seem more important than they do when a car is new. But also, there's another thing, isn't it? People use these cars in different ways. If you buy a Z8 today, you know, they're huge money now, aren't they? What do you, what do you, what do you, where do they start? 150 maybe up to 250 yeah exactly exactly so you know okay i guess that zedis probably wouldn't have done huge mileages when they're brand new but some might have done uh, and people would certainly use them a lot more then than they will now so you're talking about you know so, so the the criteria are so different the terms of reference are so different because you are talking about now looking at a car as an enthusiast as a purely occasional recreational toy um and so you assess it in a different way um, that said, I'm gonna, I put it to you that the Z8 is a very, very rare exception. And that, you know, that, so that's an example of a car which we thought was poor then, but now when we drive it again, we think, um, was pretty good. I can't think of many, I can think of lots of cars which were as good now as I remember them being then, and lots of cars which I thought were rubbish then and I still think are rubbish today. Um, and I've got a long list of both. I really can't think of many at all that, have somehow improved over time and i make the point again that it's happened in the z8 case because we misunderstood it fundamentally from the beginning okay well let me just throw a couple at you go on. I've, i came, came up with a list not necessarily cars that i've driven but i wanted oh, go to on, go to you because I, I, I will have done because i'm so old okay the lotus europa the more recent one i haven't well i mean okay so i drove it when, i'm not sure if you've re-driven one, i haven't driven but, it. i drove i drove it when i was new and i just simply couldn't see the point of it and i'm pretty confident if yeah. i drove it again i'd feel the same way but maybe Did not. It, are you? Well, because I I thought it would be basically good to drive because it's is it on an Elise platform and yeah. it's still a Lotus of that era. Yeah, so it's it's sort of lux- it's sort of luxury Elise. But I mean, if I want a luxury, if I want that, but you know, but a bit but a bit sort of more usable, I'll, you know, A one ten Cayman. You know, I, I you know I want a Lotus to be. A lo- I don't know. I, I I can't <laughs> imagine I'd feel very differently about it. Okay, give us another um, Porsche nine six four RS. Dropped to twenty something thousand pounds a few years ago. Now, easily. I did a think. I car. did think really hard about Porsche nine six four RS because I gave it an absolute kicking when it was new. <laughs> I did you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I had it for a while. Well, this, this is going back to what ninety two, I guess. When was that come out? Oof. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it was ninety two. Um, it was on a J, whatever that is. Anyway, um, and I had, I drove it down to the West Country, and by the end of it. I'd convinced myself it was the worst 911 I'd ever driven because 
it was so stiff. It was so unyielding. It actually affected the handling in a completely adverse way because if you encountered any kind of bump or lump in a corner, um, it would completely unsettle the car. Um, and, uh, and so you couldn't commit with any confidence, you know, on the bumpy roads you get down there. It was pinging and zapping and, you know, ricocheting off this, that and the other. Um, and I was quite a big lad. I was an even bigger lad at the time than I am now. And it had those 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 buckets in it, which just just hurt so much. Um, you know, give, honestly, I'd have rather got the train home than driven that back. Of course, you know, um, we now know because, you know, I didn't drive it on a track um, on that occasion. Um, and it was clearly set up for the track. And on a track, uh, I've driven them around tracks and, you know, and, and, and they are great things. Um, but... As a road car, when it was new, it was so flawed, it wasn't as nice to drive because of that, because you couldn't commit, because it was so uncomfortable, it wasn't as nice to drive as a standard 964. Um, okay, well, that, that's probably not a great example then, is it, that one? Um, well, listen, I, I know you've got a list that you want to get through, but I just want to address another reason why our, our view on a car might soften over time, um, and it's the opposite of the Z8 effect, which has become a much more valuable car. Most cars, of course, don't do that. They become much cheaper. Um, and so, you know, if all of a sudden car X is available for 10% of what it was worth new, it's far easier just to overlook its deficiencies and just appreciate it for what it is, Absolutely. isn't it? Because it's cheap. Yeah. It's affordable. Yeah. Um, there must be so many... Uh, for instance, hot hatches that weren't class leading in the know, day, I, but you look at them now and think a, a car's just popped. Nice car. a, a, nice car, a car's popped, just popped into my head. Um, just while we're having this, it's not on any list of mine, but just while we're having it, when you started talking about that, literally, I just thought, well, yeah, there's one car which I think um, absolutely defines what you're talking about: Nissan 370 or 350Z. Yeah, pick them up for I buttons about those now. yesterday. They look, I yeah. think they look great. They've got that fantastic engine. They've got that yeah, really good manual gearbox. You can hoof them around on the throttle. Um, you know, lots mm. of power. And they cost buttons, don't they? It's a good example. Yeah. A really good example. And yeah, when new, you pick holes in them, feels a bit heavy, feels a bit wallowy. It's not a Cayman. Um, interior's a bit patchy. Yeah, it's not a Cayman. <laughs> you don't pay Cayman money um, for them, do you? I mean, you didn't then. You certainly don't exactly. now. Exactly. There you go. Okay, let me, let me stretch this yeah. potentially to breaking point with you. Um, and I've, I want to pick up something that Matt Pryor wrote in his recent auto car column. Go on. He had a similar thought um, at, at the same time as me oh, yes, on this whole topic. Yeah, yeah? and he said, um, he gave the example of a friend of his or an acquaintance who bought a Vauxhall Cascada um, for a few thousand pounds. Fairly terrible when new. <laughs> Look at that grimace. Fairly terrible when new, but for a few thousand pounds, some are coming. No. If you don't really care about no. cars and you just. Yeah, and that's the point. You said <laughs> that. Absolutely. If you don't really care about yeah, cars, yeah. if you don't really care about cars, you're not listening to this podcast. Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry, you know, Matt okay, is an that... old and dear mate of mine. Um, and what, you know, uh, who I've known for. God, probably, you know, at least half his working life, probably half of mine. Um, but no. Sorry terrible thing <laughs> <laughs> okay okay fair enough um all right then well should we talk about some of your specific examples then? yeah what do you want do you want do you, do you want cars which were good and are good or cars which weren't good and are still rubbish yeah the former cars which were good and are good okay so it's, it's interesting isn't it well actually well, well i mean there are there are so okay Peugeot 205 gti i know i was banging about these to own them but um, I, you know, the thing is, I, I had one of those actually when it was new before I was a motoring journalist. Um, and I felt a certain way about them then. 
And I bought another about probably 10 years ago now, and I had it for seven or eight years, and I just loved it. There was, there was nothing about that car which didn't talk to me in the same way as the, as the original did. Um, I still, and, and it is, it's so rare among those things. I mean, you've probably driven a Mark I Golf GTI. Uh, have, you, have you driven one? Yeah. yeah. And did you wonder what all the fuss was about? Because I do. Yeah. yeah when I drive a Mark I Golf yeah. GTI now, I'm not saying it was, it's, you know, it's in any way a bad car. I think for, you know, a late 70s, early 80s uh, hot hatchback, it's pretty good. But I just, and I used to own a Mark I Golf GTI and I thought it was wonderful. But when I drive one now, I just think to myself, I'm not quite sure why we would just spend, you know, so much time banging on about how brilliant they were. Drive a 205 GTI and you know instantly. You just know instantly mm. another one i'm getting into all sorts of trouble here um integrales <laughs> yeah uh-huh they're fine yeah. they're great terrific cars um but when they were new um people absolutely raved about them and i drove one not long ago um and it was it was an evo so it was kind of like the one to drive and it was fine but i don't remember getting out of it thinking oh my god i mean let's put it this way mm. any road I'd rather drive a 205 GTI than an Integrale. I just would. Yeah. Do you know what? The, the 205 GTI is an interesting one. I just want to dig into it a little bit more. Do you think you were enjoying it for the same reasons when you drove one recently as when they were much younger cars? Was it the same thing or were you enjoying actually, it for very different reasons? No, I think I enjoyed it for the same reasons, but also some additional reasons. So I love now, as I did then... Um, that zingy little engine and the fact that, you know, you, you're only ever one throttle a lift, lift away from oversteer. I've always liked that about them. Did then, love it now. But now, of course, you just admire what an incredible piece of engineering it is. Um, because it's so simple, because it's so clever. You look at things like, you know, the design of the rear suspension and how it actually manages to create an amazingly big boot, which I know is a sort of, you know, it might not seem terribly important, but it just shows how cleverly and hard people felt about them. And the more you drive other cars from that era and realise how rubbish they are, the more it stands out. And, you know, you don't have that perspective at the time. And gosh, I mean, it has stood the, time, the test of time like few other cars I've ever driven. And I think it is only, you know, we obviously knew it was great at the time when it was class leading and we loved it. But I think it's only now, and you start to look at some of the prices they're starting to fetch now, that you realised that it was the defining car of that kind of its era uh, and perhaps any other era i mean i would be surprised if there is ever a car in that category which over a period of time becomes more highly regarded than 205 gti i think it's just one of those zeitgeist cars i think it just captured a moment um and without appearing to be anything particularly clever because it's still just a you know a front engine front front drive side speed hatch with a single overhead cam engine i mean you know so what it just did it so well. And I think it's only with the passing of the years that you can actually, <clears throat> and driving them again, and feeling just how much fun they remain, um, and how many lessons can still be learned from them, that you suddenly realise, actually, this car wasn't just great. It was a profoundly important and special machine. Hmm. There you go. I've spent so little time driving 205 GTIs. I really do need to address that. Um I, I, actually, I think I've only ever driven one on a, an airfield. Yeah. Um, albeit with it's got to be, you know, it's, it's got to be a good around. one. I mean, mine was, mine was, mine was. You know, it was, it had done a few miles, but it been, it had been looked after. So it was, it was quite a nice car. It wasn't a great car, but there are so many dogs out there. 
because I mean the other thing about 205 GTIs is a there was a time when they weren't worth anything at all so they got mistreated b they're not the best built cars so they don't survive like a mark one golf survives um so you've got to know what you're driving i can quite see someone you going and driving you know i don't know mate, mate yours gets one of the body you go and driving it and you think well i don't know what frankel's on about it's just a baggy you know box of bolts um but if you get a good one you will you'll know in an instant honestly you'll know before you're out uh, before you're out your street um and mm. yeah they're fantastic wow I, I i remember talking of when they were cheap i remember pouring over a copy of trade it um the newspaper the classifies newspaper um and i wasn't even 17 so i must have been 15 or 16 years old and seeing one listed for 250 pounds <laughs> um and i have no idea if it's good or not but i made a phone call i did ask about it and for whatever reason didn't buy it maybe because i couldn't drive i don't know but god that feels like a long time ago doesn't it 250 quid for 205 gti um we need, we need to crack through some okay. more don't we while we're still on the subject of fast, small French cars, here's an example from the other side uh, of a car which was sort of raved about when new. And when I drove one, well, I drove one when it was new because my brother um, had one when I was a youngster. Uh, and I drove it again recently and it was just terrible. Mid-engine Renault 5 Turbo. Yeah? What an icon. It was... <laughs> oh, dear, dear. It was... It, I mean... Again, I have to be careful because maybe I drove a bad one. But first thing I'd have to say about it, it was slow. Just couldn't get out of its own way. Um, and it was... I didn't trust it at all. Um, and I can remember thinking that when I drove them when they were, you know, um, quite new cars, uh, thinking that the way they handled was quite funny. And maybe I've just got a lot more scared. But... Um, it used to... It just understeered a lot. Um, and it, it was like you kind of imagine... A 911 that subscribed to all the myths about early 911s would be like, in that it would understeer and understeer and understeer, and you knew that if you did anything to stop it understeering, you'd be in the hedge. Um, and yeah, and, and it, 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 it was terribly badly built, and it just, and if it had been amazing because it was so fast, then maybe I could have forgiven it for some of that and thought, well, that's a challenge worth taking. It just wasn't. It was just a, it was an amazing car to look at. Um, but mm. therefore absolutely at its best when parked. I think this is probably the direction of travel that people find most entertaining is the cars that we quite liked when you revisited and thought they were terrible. Um, so should we talk about a few more of those? Well, cars which were great and, and, and have become terrible. Well, cars that we that reviewed well or okay. that we quite liked right. at the time and, and later wondered why. Okay, um, I, I'm, so I'm, I'm going to rain on another parade now i'm gonna have a crack at another icon audi quattro aha uh-huh. yeah oh i wondered about this yesterday go on audi quattro what an icon nice car <laughs> um you know the last ones the 20 valves um and we're obviously talking about the original uh, quattro um <sighs> i don't know um they just they, they just didn't handle they just they did walk fast out. These tend to do it. They just they were just quite yeah. fun in a straight line, um, and you know, I do, you know they predate my time in this business, and I do wonder. Um, or again, although I did drive them before I was a motoring journalist because you know I, I had access to one at the time, so I did I did uh, have some idea. And even at the time, I can remember thinking, well, it was quite fast in a straight line, um, but I couldn't really understand what all the fuss was about. 
Um, and then, yeah, I drove, I did a thing recently um, where we got some fast Audis together at, uh, at an airfield and I drove them on the road and on the track. And it was a nice old thing. And if that sounds like damning with faint praise, that's exactly how it's meant to sound. Um, it was not any kind of icon at all. Sorry. And if you open the bonnet on a Quattro and you see where the engine is, yeah. it's sort of not surprising that it handles <laughs> no. the way it does. Is no, it? it's, it's in another um, postcode. To, it's so um, far forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is amazing. Um, okay, well, let me give one. Um, fairly recent, or relatively recent experience. So this was, what, 2016 or something? The Mercedes-AMG GT was new. The, we only had the GTS at the time, I think. Um, and brand, brand new. None of us had driven it before. And Mercedes brought one over to Scotland um, for a group test. Um, and we had, this was at Evo, and we had a 911 Turbo. We had a Nissan GTR. We had a i8. We had a Vantage N430. I think that was it. Um, and, you know, we had a Henry and Jeff over there and a handful of others. And this AMG GT just monstered everything you know, on all the different roads that we tried it on, it had incredible traction, yeah. amazing body control, yeah. huge performance, quite flighty steering, but we all found that you'd sort of tuned and adjusted for it pretty quickly. Um, and we all had it as our winner. Um, even, I'm so actually surprised at myself for that now because the Vantage N430 is a wonderful car when you get it on the right road and you get into its flow into its rhythm it's unbelievably good to drive but against this GT this AMG GT it just it seemed massively outdated um so the GT just monstered everything and blew us all away and it won the group test by a huge margin months later we had it back I don't think it was the same car but at the same spec um, we had, again, this was Scotland for car of the year, different parts of Scotland, very different roads. And the thing just would not settle. It would not settle on any surface. Um, it didn't have the same body control. It was leaping and bouncing about all over the place and it got panned. It, you know, it, I think it finished in the bottom three or four. Um, so it was amazing to go in the space of a few months from being blown away by this car to wondering what on earth had gone wrong. And I still can't, put my finger on it you know was that that original car a particularly fit one was it the roads we drove it on was it the there's the shine of it being new that duped us into thinking it's better than it actually was. i, I, I don't mean, know what it was when these issues um, have been brought up in the past um you know and cars have gone back to factories because they've been given a kicking in the press um it has been said that um something had gone wrong with their setup um those cars were also, I think, I think those particular cars are quite weather dependent. I mean, they do all the things you're talking about in the dry. Um, but like the SLS before it, uh, apart from the Black Series, um, quite tricky if it's not dry. Quite difficult cars to drive fast um, in poor conditions. Um, and that can, again, with cars that fast, it's all about confidence, isn't it? And, the, and, and if suddenly, you know, if the car gives you a bit of a, a, bit of a twitch, and you think, bloody hell, I wasn't expecting mm. that. All your confidence goes out the window that minute. And all you want for the rest of that drive is not to have that feeling again. And so you drive it accordingly. And, and you know, and then suddenly, because you're not in that flow, you're not in that rhythm, um, the card suddenly feels clunky and you're much more focused on what it's doing wrong rather than because it's not doing any of the things that you want it to do right. And it becomes this sort of, you spiral down to the circle of doom. 
Um, so yeah, I think I think that's probably what was going on. It's funny though, isn't it? I have driven other versions of the GT that I liked more. Um, the GTC, I think, is the sweet spot. I thought it was wonderful. The GTR is fairly monstrous. Didn't necessarily get on with it. But a GTC, absolutely. A GTS, though, it just it now just leaves me cold, and it's it's really odd that I could have ever thought it was as brilliant as I once did. I still can't explain that one. Um, but that's that's just part of the job, isn't it? Sometimes, and this is what we're talking about here, your views will change. That's why you have to keep driving cars, keep revisiting them, because you have to keep your point of view on that car up to date. Um, so I'm thinking of a few more examples. And actually, while we've been doing... You know, I said earlier that I couldn't think of any cars which weren't great then, but have been... I've re-driven and, and like them more now. Having said that, um, I thought the Z8 was pretty much the only one. I might have thought of a couple more. <laughs> okay, let's have them. So... Um, uh, this is um, a bit of a strange one because it's not quite what I drove originally, but you'll understand what I mean. Uh, M100 Lotus Elan. Um, that was actually quite well reviewed when it was um, when it was new, um, but I never liked it. Front wheel drive Lotus. Um, it understood. It it was very capable um, and everything else, but. Frankly, I thought I'd just rather be an MX-5 for half the money or whatever it was. Recently, I drove a Kia Elan, okay? Mm. Which is when... Is it just the same? No, it's not because... As the Lotus? It's, right. it, it, it's because it was built by, um, by Kia in, uh, in South Korea. It has a Kia powertrain in it. I think the suspension is very slightly different, but it is essentially the same thing. And, you know, it's, it goes back to what you were saying about um, judging these cars with a different set of perspectives now that they are old and possibly classic. I just really enjoyed it it? because the thing is, in other things, you know, I'm not going to, you know, in somebody else's classic car, I'm not going to be door handling the thing and, you know, really finding out what it's like on the absolute edge of oblivion. I was just knocking about in it for a few days. And I really, yeah, um, there's a bloke called Robert, Rob Durrant in the Porsche press office who every time he sees me, he, because he owns a, a, an M100 alone, he, he reminds me of what I originally said about this car. Um, so this will probably <laughs> be, be, be music to his ears. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just really, um, enjoyed it and it was quirky and it was interesting and it was different. And for, as a classic car, to me, it just works so much better. Um, than it ever did as a new one. The other one, which I think is a really interesting case in point, is the McLaren MP412C. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, which I don't think anybody particularly got on with when it was new, because it was it was late, it wasn't finished. Um, it didn't... It didn't handle... I mean, it was incredibly effective and fast and efficient, but there, it didn't sort of, you know, communicate in quite the way we, we hoped and, I frankly, frankly imagined that a, a McLaren might. Um, I drove one quite recently because I did a story for Autocar when they became... when you could pick up a McLaren for less than whatever it was, 80 grand or something, and I just thought this was worth a story. So I went and um, spent a day one. Oh, my goodness. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. The ride, you will never drive a supercar which rides better than that. The ride is absolutely ridiculous. There are long wheelbase limousines which don't ride at all compared to that. Um, I also think that, you know, the looks, which I know at the time were compared uh, unfavorably to a sort of Korean concept car when it was new. I think the looks, the looks are really growing on me. I like the fact that it's quite understated and quite, quite subtle. 
Um, and it still feels so fast. I mean, you know, they, because even the early cars, which are meant to have uh, whatever it was, 600 horsepower, they all got upgraded to 625. Um, and it's light. Um, and and you start thinking to yourself, actually, for a car that is now whatever it is, 11 years old, um, it's really, really credible. And again, it's not, you know, you know, I didn't drive it on a racetrack. I wasn't, you know, traction off trying to, you know, um, smoke it into oversteer. I was just trying to drive it fast. Um, and I thought it was fantastic and again for the money which is very different now to the money that it was then um incredibly credible car also rare um and you know quite quite special um and i think that if you got a really nice one um that would be a keeper so there you go one thing i do like about the mp412c is that it's significant it is the first mclaren automotive car isn't it yeah um it's the start of an era. Yes. So I, th- I think it's special for that reason as well. Okay, let's do another which isn't as good now as uh, as it was then. Um, yeah. And we spent so much time on this podcast saying how wonderful Porsches are, don't, uh, don't we? So um, <laughs> here's one that's not anymore. 928. Oh. Yeah, I know. Really? I, know, I, I, was, I was as surprised as you. Um, see, I've never driven one, but I... <clears throat> Recently, I, I sort of began to see the appeal. Yeah, maybe I had that the, wrong. The, the, the appeal is absolutely gripped there. I mean, they're beautifully built. They're amazingly built. They're so robust, um, and I think they look great. And that big brawny V8, um, and you know what's not to like? Except, okay, you first thing to say about the 928 is you've just got to get a manual. You just have to get a manual one because the automatic gearbox absolutely ruins it. Um, and then even then, it's just, you know, you'd think that it would feel quite fast because, you know, 911s from that era somehow find a way of still feeling fast. Um, if you drive a, you know, a late, nine, uh, a late G-series or an early 964, you know, you, th- th- they feel like quite quick cars. 928s just don't anymore. Um, and they feel heavy and they don't ride properly. And it, well, I say they, I mean, the one that I drove, it just felt, you know a bit it just felt old um i mean again not in by any stretch of the imagination a bad car um or even a disappointing car it's just one that i i thought about in a certain way and i think it's probably because you know it was going out as i was coming in so i joined the business in 1988 um and that must have been the last few years of 928 production and i was probably a bit um wet behind the ears and probably a bit starstruck by it um and probably thought better things about it then than i probably should have done um and yeah it was just a bit it was just a bit a bit of an eye-opener um can we do another i'm enjoying this keep going i'm gonna be upsetting so yeah, many people going. here um sierra Goldsworth. it's great <laughs> oh yes yeah they you've I, I think we've lost a good chunk of our audience oh dear. i'm sorry the i'm really really sorry um okay i'm talking about okay, <laughs> Um, I'm not talking about the uh, about the Sapphire, uh, the rear drive Sapphire Cosworth, mm. um, which I just thought was a really good car. I'm talking about the original Sierra Cosworth, um, which again, you know, when I drove one, just not very fast. I mean, 204 horsepower in you know mm. in a Sierra shell. Okay, it's probably I don't know what they, what they weigh, but maybe 1,200 kilos. So it's not it's not heavy. But it's still not an awful lot of power. So, you know, in 1986, 87, when it came out, that was a huge amount of power. I mean, this car did 150 miles an hour. And we thought, wow. Um, but that engine, it's a bit of a nail. Mm. Uh, it really is. It's a rough old thing, isn't it? Sorry? 
It's a, it's a rough old thing. It's a thing, rough old it? thing. It's a bag of bolts, yeah. Um, but actually, even that was okay. The, the, the problem with it is they were just they were just tricky. Um, they were just tricky. I mean, I just found them, uh, and, I, I, and and yeah, I mean, tricky on the limit and uh, in the wet. It, it was on a thing called Dunlop D40s. Dunlop D40. They were Dunlop had a tire then called D40. Um, which had quite a lot of grip in the drive, but the fall off when it got wet was absolutely catastrophic. They actually brought out a thing, got to show my memory call, I think it was called the D40M2, uh, which was brilliant. Um, but the original D40 was a, um, yeah, it wasn't a great tyre, and it was on the, and maybe that was part of the problem. But the, you know, the Sierra Colesworth, it looked amazing. I know that it was like 19 grand when it was, when it was new. It was a really, affordable car and you've got a huge amount of performance for it but now they're so much more valuable they haven't got any more performance unless you tune them up which is a whole other conversation uh, and which brings issues on its own right but no sorry i'm really sorry because i know that that's an icon and people absolutely love them i love the way they look and i just wish they drove like they looked but they don't okay well let's see if we can upset some more people then um well, okay. The other, okay. This is an example of a car which I thought was bad when it was new, and I drove again quite recently and realised I'd been right all along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Ferrari three four eight. Ah, see, I remember you um, going off to do this story to reassess it. Yes. Find out if yeah, you've been I, harsh. I, that was I, the point, I, wasn't I did it? it for the now very sadly defunct Enzo magazine. Um, your friend of mine, John Barker, um, edited that for um, for quite a long time and did a wonderful job. And I, I really wish it hadn't gone. But anyway, um, yeah, it was exactly that. Um, you know, this is the kind of the traditional whipping boy. I think people think that because people say such nice things about Ferrari, we have to have an exception to the rules. So we can always say, hi, yeah, we're not nice about all Ferraris. And the 348 just happens to have been cast in that role. But actually, yeah. it, it just was a really bad car. Um, when it was new, it was, it was a complacent car, and you know, and you only needed to drive a Honda NSX at the time to know it. I mean, we did a group test with it and a few other things, and you know, it came last. And they were tricky on the limit; they weren't that fast. They had a horrible gearbox, um, and so I suppose two or three years ago, um, I drove some more. I think we got three of them there, and they just weren't any better. Everything I thought about them then, I mean. They were better in so far as again the the way you use them would be different, but actually they still didn't feel quick. The gearbox wasn't that much nicer, and they just felt. I mean, actually, we were doing it at Bedford, so I was able to hoof them around. Um, you know, I just don't spin cars. It's a stupid thing to say, but I just I tend not to fall off. Um, and I, I think we had three cars there, and I spun at least two of them. And it would do that Good thing work. that they always did is they would lull you. You could come out of a corner and you give it a bit of throttle and it would start to slide. And you think, oh, actually, this is quite nice. You'd be thinking, oh, maybe they did sort it out. And then as you were thinking it, you suddenly find yourself facing the way you just could be. I mean, it would just, it would go from really quite benign, progressive oversteer into spin. Hero to zero in just a like heartbeat. Um, and yeah, uh, they did them then and, uh, and, and they still do it now. So um yeah, three, four, eight. So it, 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 it's actually quite reassuring that, um, you know, it appears your critical faculties remain intact after all these years that you can still, you know, feel the same way about these things and, you know, not just regard them as being, you know, lovely old Ferraris. Because, as I said at the beginning of this, it's very, very rare. What is it? You know, a bad car when it's new remains a bad car, you know, regardless. 
Um, others, which I've revisited, have been, you know, we mentioned the 205 earlier, but uh, I've, got, I've got a few others here, which I, you know, Audi R8, an original manual yeah. V8 Audi R8. It's quite an old car now. But go and drive one, and you'll just think, you think you've gone to heaven. Just yeah, lovely. a lovely, lovely thing. I mean, still, the, you know, although, you know, the more modern rear drive R8 are pretty good things. Um, still the nicest Audi I've ever driven of any kind. Um, and yeah, and, and a car that absolutely stands um, the test of time. An old NSX as well, as long as you don't get an automatic one. Um, but if you drive a manual NSX from the, well, from any time in the 1990s, I think they turned up in... Whenever it was, uh, 91, and they stayed in production till I think, 2004, 2005. Um, and, you know, they had some issues at the time with uh, handling and the way they went through rear tyres, but I think they were set-up um, issues. And, you know, I, I drove one quite recently, and it was just sublime. I was so happy in that thing. It was, a, it was such a lovely, lovely car. Uh, Ferrari 550 Maranello, another example. Um, great car then, yeah. great car now. Uh, just... And... <laughs> Actually, when you drive it now, it feels more like a GT than a supercar um, because it's quite soft. Um, it's not hardcore. Like you, it's hard to believe that that kind of is a direct um, ancestor of an eight twelve, which is a very you know angry, in your face, exciting, raw weapon, isn't it? That is a supercar. Yeah, yeah. five fifty Maranello is not like, like that at all. It's a car for you know getting into with your significant other, loading up the luggage, and 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 and, and charging across Europe in it. And it was just. Um, yeah, it was lovely. Um, yeah, I mean, again, you know, another BMW, that M635 CSI, I think we've talked about before. Um, you know, great 35 years ago, wonderful now. So there's no shortage of them. I could bang on relentlessly about it. But um, it is interesting. The only thing I don't really understand is why some cars stand up so well and other cars don't. Two cars that you would think were equally brilliant 30 years ago, and then you drive them again today, and one remains as brilliant, if not better, and the other you think... What will I get so excited about this for? I just don't understand it. Yeah. I think the key thing from all this, this whole conversation, is that it's so important to revisit cars because perspective changes, expectations change, technologies change. If you're lucky enough, if you're lucky enough to be a motoring journalist and you know have access yeah. to the, you know to, to, to these sorts of things, it is it is a fascinating thing. Um, yeah. 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 It is important to go back and reassess. So it's a, a continual um, discussion. You know, we don't reach a verdict on a car and leave it at that. We have to go back and reassess. And that's actually one of the most fun parts of this job. So, yeah, I, we're very lucky that we get to do it. Um, <clears throat> okay, we'll, we'll leave that, con- that topic there. Um, we've got the listener question coming up. I think you've seen this, but I don't know how much thought you've given to it. I think it's a fairly straightforward one, though. Um, before we do that, thank you, JBR Capital, for sponsoring the podcast. Um, if you are looking to finance your next car, um, even if it's a brand new car, it might be a hypercar, it might be a, an affordable hot hatch, whatever it is, just go and see what they can do on the finance side. Um, and please remember to rate and review the podcast and subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcast. That's basically how we find new listeners and that's how we make the, the podcast bigger. So, Please do that. It really helps. Dom Kolbeck, the listener question comes from. What's more of a fool's errand, turning a road car into a race car or a race car into a road car? Um, Damn, that's not the question I thought it was going to be at all. (laughs) 
okay. Well, uh, well, you can choose the question for next week. No, well, and it give me um, that one. What's a more of a fool's errand, turning a road car into a race car, or a race car into a road car? Oh, definitely a bigger fool's errand than turning a race car into a road car. Definitely. Yeah, I'd, I'd far rather attempt to turn a road car into a race yeah. car. And in fact, it happens all the time. That's the basic principle of touring car racing and GT racing, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Proven yeah. time and again that it can work. Yes. What about the other way around? Well, I mean, occasionally, you, you see examples of it, don't you? I mean, I can remember seeing a Porsche 917 with number plates smoking up the hill at yeah. Goodwood. And there were those... Yeah, uh, and 962s as 962s well. 962s and that sort of thing. But no, I mean, the thing is, and I think... I haven't seen this question, but it's, it's interesting just to sort of think about it on the hoof. A road car has to be, it's a much more generalist piece of equipment, isn't it? It has to do lots of different things. Um, and therefore it's it, almost inherently in its, in its design, it is an adaptable thing. Whereas a racing car is designed to do one thing, which is to lap a circuit as fast as the regulations or whatever series it's in allow. And therefore, it is a car of incredibly tight focus um, with almost no adaptability built into it whatsoever. So the moment you try to adapt it, you're doing something it was never, ever designed to do. And actually, you know, even GT cars, you know, the best racing cars that have been derived from road cars are still nothing like as good. You know, if you drive a uh, a really good GT3 car and you'll think it's absolutely incredible until you drive a prototype. And then you'll think, oh, okay, that's what a racing car is. Um, but yeah, so much better that way than the other way around, without a question. Let me give you, let me give you another specific example. Yeah. And this is an odd one, okay? I'm thinking GT1 road cars. So a 911 GT1, yeah. Mercedes CLK GTR. Yeah. These are curious because they are road cars turned into race cars, turned back into road cars. Well, they're not. They're, um, they're really race cars, aren't they? Turned into road cars. Effectively. Made road legal. Yeah, made, made road yeah, legal made, made road for legal. homologation purposes. I, uh, I haven't driven one um, mm, like that. Okay. Um, you know, the McLaren F1 but, was always a road car. But you can imagine, car. can't you? Yeah, I imagine they're pretty rubbish road cars. Yeah. I really would. That's I mean, it. You know, because the, the moment you optimise it for racing, you, yeah. you ruin it for the so, road. So let's think about it. They will be cramped. They will be hard to see yeah. out of. The air conditioning yeah. won't work. Um, they will have they'll either have no ground clearance or handle appallingly. Um, you know, the, the engines will probably be very suboptimal for road car applications. And also, don't forget, you know, at the back of it is you've got a manufacturer who's thinking, well, we've got to build one of these things and put some leather in it. Um, you know, and, 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 we know, and, and they'll know that they can sell it instantly or maybe they don't even think about selling it. So how hard are they actually going to try? Yeah, yeah I mean, they don't try. They don't have to, you know, go 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 through whole homologation processes or anything. They'll crash testing them or anything. They don't have to try. So, um, yeah. So my guess is that if you drove the Toyota GT1 road car, which I have seen in a Toyota museum somewhere, um, or any of those sorts of things, I imagine they'd be pretty clunky machines. I don't know because I haven't driven. I'd like to. Hmm. Um, so if anybody's yeah. offering, I suspect they probably won't <laughs> after hearing this, but. Um, again, I think, yeah, absolutely. The answer to the question is um, road to race is far better than the other way around. Yeah, there you go. Good question. Please get your Great listener question. questions really in. Really good question. We, we just in, we enjoy ending the podcast with a, a fun listener question, so get them across to us any way you like. Um, and we'll be back next week. Look forward to it.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.